In our last episode, we discussed public procurement and open contracting at the subnational level, where we focused on how open contracting and public procurement is beneficial, you know, to subnational governments and the contribution of CSOs, of course, civil society organizations in the implementation process. Well, on today's episode of Budget Podcasts, we are taking the conversation a step further, still on open contracting, yes, but we'll be channeling the conversation to know if states are making progress not are they making progress on open contracting or are they not my name is nancy odemego and joining me in the conversation today is the program's director public and private development center pbdc Oyekachi how are you Kachi? how are you doing i'm doing very well in you i am okay okay uh so thank you for joining us we are focusing on two episodes for open contracting uh, the first one we discussed was public procurement and open contracting at the subnational level. And for today, we'll be focusing on uh, open contracting still if states are making progress or if they are not. So um, first off, if you were to measure the adoption of open contracting in Nigeria, for instance, how would you rate it in general? Oh, okay. Well, uh, thanks again for having me. All right. So basically for me, I would say... Um, when you speak of the adoption, well, it's yeah. been adopted, but then, of course, the implementation is exactly where the problem is. Um, generally, both at the federal and at the state level, the adoption is, has never actually been uh, more of a problem, right? It's mostly implementing the open contracting itself that's been the problem. And uh, I would probably say the reason why it seems there's been some sort of significant progress in terms of implementing open contracting at the subnational level particularly is probably because of this World Bank um, sectors project yeah. which um, of course um, subnational governments have are supposed to meet some DLIs, disbursement linked indicators and then once they're able to meet that they get some sort of grant and all that that's probably how or reason why some states have actually met uh, tried implementing open contracting but then uh, from the last um, assessment that was actually done by open contracting partnership uh, there are structural assessment. A lot of states, I think it was just about three states only that actually passed it. A lot of the states didn't actually meet um, the requirements. And currently, <laughs> we are working with different partners to see how we can actually meet the next one because the CEFTAS project is coming to an end in June. Uh, mm-hmm. So most states are also trying to see how they can get theirs to actually meet the OCP uh, framework pretty much as to be able to assess the grants. But my own personal opinion, I'd rather say that most of the states who are implementing open contracting are pretty much implementing it because of what they tend to gain, not particularly because of its importance. That's my own personal opinion, because it seems uh, most of them are touching the benefits from CEFTIS as opposed to the benefits to open contracting itself, which generally allow you know, citizens access public procurement information and lastly participating in governance in their state. So that's for the subnational level. Then at the federal level, um, <laughs> it's a bit dicey in the sense that um, it seems um, uh, the PPP, for instance, at the federal level have been trying, uh, trying to work with civil societies as well to get MDAs at the federal level to also published their data on the NOCOPO, that's Nigeria's open contracting portal, and it's been difficult, even from the assessments that were also done last year, in terms of how well federal MDs are actually updating their details on NOCOPO, is also poor. 
really because a lot of ministries that you think you actually know probably from their budgets and all that that are actually expending a lot of money actually have nothing published on on Nokopo. So generally, I'll, if I'm giving them over ten, I'll probably say at the federal level we're still at a two over ten, and ten at the at the state level I'll probably just give them a four simply because of um, the status. That's pretty much my own opinion about it. All right, thank you. Uh, so you mentioned that most subnationals are really involved in open contracting because of what they tend to benefit from sectors, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So what exactly. would you say are some of the factors now that might be affecting the subnational from you know improving uh, public procurement in general and democratizing it for citizens? So the, the question is the big why. Why mm-hmm. is this so? Right. So I'll start by saying that um, I'm not a big fan of the SEPTAS project. I totally have not the support of it. And even though it's coming to an end and even talks about either extending it or starting up a new program that, that is similar to that, I have not even any support of it. Because basically, you're, you're in, in other words, giving people uh, uh, Stop, exactly. like you do what they're supposed to do. Yeah. You, you don't have exactly this is something you're ordinarily supposed to do, but then you're you're inciting people, you're giving them grants, touching their money, whatever, to do what they're ordinarily supposed to do. And it sort of without begs that question, what happens when these kinds of incentives are no longer are no longer there? Does it mean that the whole projects, all the efforts that have been made by both you know, non-state actors and all that, does it mean everything just dies off? You know, that's that's the big question. Right, but for me, I also think um, a lot of the reasons that most um, I wouldn't. I think basically what I would, I would say is that there is this low level of um, commitment in terms of um, people that are at the top. Right, it's, it's one thing to say, okay, I'm the governor, and uh, you know, to adopting a full contract. And another thing to actually make, say, budgetary provisions, give the people who are supposed to actually work on this portal the. The, the tools and the technical capacity that it requires to, be, to actually allow them to do the work. It's, so there is this uh, commitment that is just at the top, but it doesn't trickle down to the main people who are supposed to actually man those portals, right? So you have people who are already procurement officers across various NDAs who already have a lot of work normally that they're doing. And then you now introduce this new thing, and then there is no um, new capacity building, uh, there's no additional budget probably there's no additional hands or whatever tools that they might need. And then we're still expecting them to actually meet uh, targets and all that. So it just seems like these commitments are there at the top. It doesn't trickle down to the people who are actually going to do the dirty work themselves. So um, which is, is has been some things that we've been trying to do, even at my organization, trying to offer capacity building for, you know, MDAs and all that. But then, of course, like I said, there's always a limit to these things, right? Uh, because that commitment really needs to trickle down. They need to understand the reason why the government are actually adopting these things. What is the rationale behind it? But if everybody just understands it as, oh, adopting this particular thing simply because they want to meet uh, the disbursement linked indicators of the sector's project so that they can assess the grant. I mean, everybody just Which wouldn't really be bothered. Yeah. Exactly. So, so when we're talking about sustainability, I mean, it's not really there. Mm, okay. Are there examples of maybe some states that have done it right? Uh, you know, if you're talking about the implementation of um, open contracting at subnational level. Right. So, you know, when you say something has been done right, um, it's one thing to have a portal 
or something that looks like a portal, right? It's another thing to have a portal that actually has data in them. And it's another thing that actually has a portal that has quality data in them. So when you're asking for a state that actually meets all these criteria, I don't think there is a state that actually meets all this currently. Um, but then there are states that are actually trying uh, to actually meet some of this. Um, from the last APA that was done by, you know, CEFTAS, I think it was just um, three states that actually met the structural check. And this structural check, that was um, Cross River, Edo, and Play 2. Those were the only three states that met structural check. The structural check is not the data inside, it's just the structure of the portal. Is it in line with the open contracting uh, partnership, um, uh, you know, format and all that? So basically what that was actually just checking is, if it actually was in line in terms of how the portal was built, not necessarily what the data inside those portals are, right? So by the time you now start looking at um, states that have data on their portals and all that, I think Ebony is there, uh, Kaduna is there, Ekiti is there, you know, and some other states as well that are, you know, actually have data in them, right? But in yeah. terms of in terms of having open contracting uh, portals that actually it follows the whole open contracting data standards, all the fields, you know, throughout the whole procurement chain are actually filled, filled in the portal. It, it, there are just very few states that actually have that. Hence the whole, you know, trying to link the whole e-procurement and open contracting portals to sort of make things a bit easier for them. So where you ask for states that are performing well, it depends on how you're looking at it. Are you looking at it from the structural angle or are you looking at it from the data angle? Right? Uh -huh. yeah. so it depends on how you want, how exactly you're viewing it. But in terms of structure, like I said, from the APA from last year, was well, it's it do I play through that, you know, met the three structural checks, you know, but in terms of data, you have Kaduna, you have Ekiti, uh, you have Ebony as well, in terms but, of um, data on their portals. So, but in terms of structure and data, yeah, you know, but I'm guessing before uh, this new, the next APA that will be coming up by June, I'm guessing most states would also, since the sectors grant is running out, you know, so it's closing out soon. So I'm guessing a lot of states would try as much as possible to see that they meet up with the whole, you know, checks of the, of the OCP uh, data review. So, but for right now, the, the, no one has everything. Not. Yeah, all right. Okay, so let's, let's focus on the contribution of CSOs now. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned uh, where PPDC is coming in and doing some, I think, capacity training or so. So, um, in mm -hmm. what ways are CSOs contributing to the adoption of open contracting at the subnational level? Okay, um, I mean, CSOs pretty much have been driving it, really, uh, in terms of uh, ensuring that states actually implement open contracting and implement it properly. Um, so, how they've been doing this, they've been offering uh, technical uh, support to both state actors themselves and then the non-state actors in the state as well so okay. you uh ppdc for instance as you know offers technical support to states to develop and deploy their open contracting portals uh trains their procurement officers on how to enter data on their portal to clean and enter data on their portal and also to make sure that their portal also meets the whole ocp uh, review uh, too and all that they're able to pass those checks and all then for the other part of the non-state actors, uh, you have CSOs also building capacity of local CSOs in the states to enable them um, understand the whole public procurement process, understand open contracting, to enable them actually use those portals. It's one thing to have, I mean, open contracting in this real sense is, is publishing and participation. So if there's that publishing angle and there's no participation, it's not complete. So the participation part is where 
the local civil societies and the states are now trained on an open contracting and then also mobilized, uh, you know, to also start using data sets on their portals to track projects, you know, in their states yeah. and, and ensure that they are probably uh, implemented and all that track projects, report on them, carry out advocacy for projects that need fixes uh, and the like. So there's a couple of things that, you know, non-state actors have been doing uh, at the subnational level. Um, so speaking about state legislatures now and how they can be engaged, you know, to provide the necessary oversight and backing for the establishment of open contracting, in what ways would you say um, state legislatures can actually come in? Right. So that's, this is, I think, one of the major points that have actually been missing in, in the whole uh, talk about implementing open contracting at the subnational level. The legislatures are actually uh, one set of stakeholders that have actually been missing in that conversation because uh, for us to actually speak about sustainability of open contracting uh, in, in any state whatsoever, we should be talking about having proper policies and laws that actually backs up these things, right? Because yeah. if not, you have new changed governments and you have a new governor who isn't interested in anything regarding open government or regarding open contracting or anything like that. It's not their own business. I mean, it's not all the states that have signed up to OGPT dates, you yes. know, despite all the all the good things states have been benefiting and all that some governors have that really refused to sign up to open government partnership not because they don't have an understanding of what it is but because they don't want you know to open their books and all that so definitely legislatures are actually very very key stakeholder here in the sense that we need to have in their public procurement laws uh probably being amended and having sections stating categorically that you know, MDAs are actually supposed to publish on their open contracting portals. MDAs are supposed, at least supposed to implement their uh, public procurement, you know, where the whole e-procurement and all that. Without having these legal frameworks, it, it, it wouldn't, you won't have any sustainability, you won't have any legal backing in mm -hmm. terms of saying, if you have a change in government, what if this new person doesn't want it? But if it's legally backed up, you know, whoever comes uh, into power any day at any time these are already standing laws right yeah. it's not something you wake up and just change so they're already there so but then uh, i think it's the legislators also first of all need to understand what exactly open contracting is yes. what state tends tends to gain you know because too if they don't understand what those things are they have no idea what these things mean the reason the rationale for having them so it will also be difficult for them to you know push for it to actually be have a legal framework that actually backs that up. So that is a very, have a very big role to play here. Because like I said, all this um, uh, support from, uh, you know, from international bodies such as the World Bank and the likes, they just come and go. They have a time span, right? At some yeah. point, these international bodies are actually going to move their attention to something else. What happens when they leave a book contracting and probably move to something else, right? Yeah. Or does it mean that all the efforts we've actually made you know, goes down the drain. So I think it's high time we start looking or start thinking towards that direction and having a legal framework that actually ensures and enshrines that open contracts and e-procurements are things that are actually spelled out, you know, on the public procurement laws at the subnational area. Okay. All right, thanks. Focusing on technology now, do you think mm -hmm. technology has probably a critical role to play in strengthening open contracting? You know, and procurement, and if yes, what kind of tech solutions and innovations or investments do you think the federal government mm -hmm. or the government should focus on? Right. So, I mean, um, 
open contracting on its own is the whole idea of open contracting e-procurement and the likes it's already technology really yes. we're thinking about moving from you know the regular paper and you know format of people tending their beats writing papers submitting and all that moving to a point where people can actually sit in the comfort of their homes tender their bids and actually track it from there and you know the bits are done online and everything so it's it's it's, it's fair everybody's transparent it's fast accountable literally everybody can actually follow and see what these things are you can literally track a project from you know the, the first stage down to the final stage when the projects have actually been, been implemented um the, the world is totally moving towards technology. There's no, there's no kickbacks. I'm not even going back. You know, uh, look at us having a conversation right now from different yes. parts of the uh, of the country. So this is this is not something that anybody's taking back. This is where we are heading. You know, in spite of you know, no matter who is in the office and all that. So technology is here to stay. Now the question is, um, it's one thing to have these great technologies, but then do people have the capacity to actually? utilize these technologies that's another question we've mm-hmm. agreed that it has it plays a, a critical role in open contracting and, and public procurement but then um before we even start talking about the kinds of investments governments needs to do the question is the people you are leaving these great technologies in their hands to take care of do they have the capacity to actually utilize these things you know i'm sorry to say but you know when you get into some you know public offices there are a lot of people who have worked there for years and can't even use a computer computer right yeah. exactly the basic things on microsoft you know let's not even go fast google doc and all this just basic <laughs> basic, basic things, office stuff basic of do you understand so it makes yeah. it really so how do you want this kind of person to start entering data at the back end using spreadsheets and the likes and all that so those are some of the gaps that um, when we speak of investments now, this is where governments should start from. The capacity of, of people who are supposed to man these new technologies It's not to just invest millions of billions into doing building procurement portals and all that. And then at the end of the day, people who are supposed to man them have no idea how to use those things. So for me, if you talk of investments, uh, we should start with the human investment first, right? Mm-hmm. Start with the human investment, train uh, the people who are supposed to mind this, retrain the people, have them train other people so that even in their absence, you know, or when they're on leave or whatever, other people can also continue from where they stop. Yes. Exactly. So you don't have this knowledge, you're not building an individual, you're pretty much building the institution. So people around should be able to do these kinds of things and on their own, right? So that's for me, that's the first investment that any government that it tends to actually implement open contracting uh, pretty properly. That's the very first thing they should do, invest in people, um, ensure that they get the requisite trainings and capacity building that they require. That's first. Then before uh, we now go into them purchasing whatever they need to purchase. And then another important aspect is in terms of, um, what do you call it? Uh, also informing citizens of what these new technologies are. Because mm-hmm. it's one thing to have the people in the government, only them having this knowledge. The citizens also need to understand this new process that is coming into play. This is the reason for this new uh, introduction of technologies in public procurement. Uh, both suppliers, the contractors, and the like should understand or should know the reason why we are moving from the regular 
uh, paper to this and all that. So yeah. if that information is also there, generally people can accept these things by the time they understand the reason for it. And then they're also able to also put some sort of pressure as well on um, the government to do what they are supposed to do. So I think for me, those are the kinds of investments uh, the government should actually focus on now to actually get uh, open contracting the procurement, you know, being implemented properly in their states. Okay, so so going forward, uh, what should we expect? What are the expectations now? Where do you see Nigeria as regards to contracting? Let's say in the next couple of years. I hate to sound like a pessimist, but I have I have this great fear that once is thirtieth of June this year, you're going to have a lot. Exactly. That's that's my biggest fear. And because as a matter of fact, a lot of governments right now actually particularly states who are a lot of people right now talking about twenty twenty three. Yes. You, you are, so, no, nobody nobody is talking about any of these things anymore. You if you have a governor who's probably done to ten out, he's thinking about okay, am I moving to the Senate or whatever. And then you have those who are just done first tenor trying to come back for a second tenor and all that. So this conversation right here is, you know, because I know I've been in conversation with, you know, the sectors of phase in a Jagonus forum, trying to see how we can get states to actually meet up with this uh this mm-hmm. possibility to get us to get them to assess the grants. But for me, in my head is it's not just to assess the grant. What is the sustainability plan? So if you ask me sincerely today, here and now, where I think open contracting will be in the next five years, I I can't <laughs> I can't tell you that I'm very certain that um would have been where we should, right? Yeah. Because unless you actually have uh governors and governments who are actually very sincere and serious about you know opening up their books because once those incentives are no longer there, I mean, they really have nothing to lose. Because even there are still going to be states who would not assess this grant, who will still not do anything. Nothing happens to them. There are no penalties. Yes. Exactly. So at the end of the day, I mean, anybody that is doing it is doing it either because, oh, okay, let me do it to make people happy. Let me do it because <laughs> I want to assess this grant. Yeah. Exactly. Let me just do what other people are doing. And then, but it's really nothing. Nobody's thinking about, oh, this is actually a very important thing to do and all that. But so in the next five years, fingers crossed. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so thank you. Now that leaves me with one question, right? I right. understand mm-hmm. your view. Thank you so much. So would you say states are making progress or they are not? Uh, well, all the states are not making progress, obviously. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so, it can't even be answered. It's not even a general question that has a general answer. Some states are making efforts. But now the question is, what is the what is the reason behind them making those efforts? Are they making those efforts because they really want to? Or are they making those efforts because they want to get this um, benefit? But all in all, I'll say some states are trying because I can confidently tell you that when you interact with a couple of civil societies today, um, mm-hmm. they will tell you that three, four, five years, particularly like those in the who are you know in the at the subnational level, they tell you that three, four, five years they couldn't even access any procurement information. They will yeah. tell you that three, four, five years they couldn't track projects, they couldn't carry out any advocacies for them to fix projects in communities and all that. Mm-hmm. But these days you have them doing it. So um, it, I mean, is that that's also progress? You know, let's not make it seem like it's all. All negative, negative, right? It's, there's yes. also exactly there's also been some positive stuff happening. You have the civil society is actually telling you, oh, and you know, 
you know, calling and telling you, oh, they fixed this project after we tracked it. Oh, we have kind of a campaign on this. You know, so communities are happy. Communities are trying to understand and are starting to understand what this thing means. Communities are now starting to understand that these projects that have been implemented in their communities are not donations from their representatives or anything. These are actually proper government funds that are being used to implement this project. So mm-hmm. there's been progress in terms of um, the non-state actors understanding what this thing is and the benefits and trying to use the data that they have there in working. And then for the state actors, they've also been in some states, um, some DGs who are very up and doing, who are very interested in making sure their portals are, you know, properly done and ensuring that data is there. But of course, there's always those gaps, you know, like I've mentioned, uh, because most of the time, respecting the way the way this open contracting procurement is supposed to work is that you're supposed to be having these data sets live, you know, as yeah. soon as. Yes, you know, it's not when the project has been awarded and implemented. Yes. You now you now publish data for me, and you know. So at that at that point, most of the time, there's really nothing you can do. There's no change you can actually make in terms of you know if there are problems regarding those projects. So there's also always there's still a couple of gaps um, that uh, some state governments are still yet to to fill. But all in all. They're trying. That's all I can say. That's all I can pretty much say. Okay, They're yes. trying, but they need to do better. They need to do better. It could be better. Okay. Yeah, it uh, could. Thank it could. you. Thank you so much, Kachi. I'm feeling the temptation to ask you for a recommendation. You know, probably, what do you think right. uh, they could do better, the federal government now, or state oh, government? Okay. Okay. So for me, the very first thing is institutionalizing this um, this process. That's the first thing for me because. Um, most of these DGs or MDs, however they call it, in their they are appointed. Uh, yes. Even though we, we, are, we, are, we are saying, okay, government is continuous. Unfortunately, it's not so continuous like that in Nigeria, <laughs> you know? So you mm-hmm. have different governments coming in with their new agendas and all yeah. that. So for me, the very first thing is institutionalizing these things. So you don't don't be the capacity of just an individual or don't be the best DG in terms of implementing it. No, people who are working in that hole, for crying out loud, this is civil service. It doesn't change anyway. It doesn't just, people don't just wake up and they don't, they don't, they don't have tenors. You know, it takes time before people retire and all that. So any government that comes in ends up still working with the same civil servants. So but when you're building the capacity of the civil servants, then we're talking about, okay, this sustainability thing and not making it a question of scoring uh, political points or whatever. It should be what it is, which is trying to improve procurement systems and making it uh, public procurement system, making it more transparent in the state. That's what it is. Not necessarily uh, trying to meet DLIs so that you can, I mean, that's a lot of money, so that you can assess these millions of dollars and all that. It should be because you're trying to actually build this public procurement system and making it more transparent in your state. So the, my first recommendation would be institutionalizing these systems. The trainings should also be passed down to other people. Even when you employ new people in the in the civil service, they should also be trained on these same things. Yeah. So that this knowledge is, is is always there. You know, so that 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 would be my first recommendation. And then the second recommendation would be that um the international uh donors or funders, you know, particularly the World Bank. Whatever it is that I think, even if you they have these plans of trying to 
extend CEFTA or so create a new program that is similar to CEFTA. I think they need to actually also reach out to a couple of civil societies who are, who are working on these kinds of things to actually get the exact ways to actually get states to meet these DLIs. Sometimes when I read the DLIs, it's very easy to meet some of the time because all you have to do is meet a couple of things when it's time to do an assessment, you get your money and that's it. What yeah. happens once I access the money, I can go back to you know, so this should be, it should be structured in such a way that it's not something people can wake up overnight and just fix the problem, present it to you during your assessment, and then you leave and give them money. So those, and then of course, I mean, I strongly recommend that people shouldn't be given incentives for doing their job. <laughs> yeah, you made that one very clear from the beginning. It is, I mean, you're the government, this is what you're supposed to do. This is public funds make it open, let people know exactly what you're doing with them. So that's it. Then for the federal level, um, I know there's been a lot of things going on behind the, behind the scenes, trying to get, you know, federal MDAs to actually start utilizing COPO and publishing their, their details and all that. So I think also there should be some level of, um, what I call it, like the commitment at the high level has already been done, the president signing up and all that, but there should yeah. also be some sort of instruction you know, I think I, I've been in forums where we had even recommended that before budgets of um, MGAs actually approved, they should have been evident that they've uploaded details of their previous ones. You know, so there should be these kinds of, um, I wouldn't call it, it's not penalty, it's not a sanction, it's just a measure to ensure that they actually publish. So if I'm telling you that I'm not going to approve your budget for next year until you publish all you did, use this money to do, uh, the full contracting, uh, full public procurement information for the previous year before I approve your budget for the next year. Mm-hmm. I don't think any MDA will fail to actually do, you know, what they're supposed to do. So these are measures that I think both at the federal and at the state, the government can actually adopt if it's, it's only want to get MDAs actually published in you know, their public procurement information. So this would be those would be my two major recommendations, really. Okay, thank you so much, Kachin. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, it was a pleasure having you. I mean, two things I'm um, to pick from everything. You said we should institutionalize the system and mm-hmm. uh, government should not train one person, but rather they should train the entire civil servant. So when mm-hmm. the MDs and the DGs get changed based on administration, which they will eventually be changed, the system mm-hmm. continues and there's uh, at least sustainability in all of this thing. I will not exactly. forget uh, do not give incentive to people when they are supposed to do their job. I will not forget that exactly. one. Exactly. <laughs> yes, and having proper policies and laws, you know, and at least letting the legislators understand what open contracting is so that they could mm-hmm. come in and um, draft these policies, enact these laws, and so it, it continues. And we do it for the right reason, actually, and not just because mm-hmm. we have um, a DLI to fulfill and some money right. to cash out from a particular program. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your two cents on the matter. Open contracting, are states making progress or not? Well, I already know your answer. Thank you so much. <laughs> it was nice having you Thanks, on the platform yeah. today. Thank you very much, Nancy. All right. And that was Benika Chichuku, Programs Director of PPDC, sharing his two cents on if the states are actually making progress or if they're not. There is a need for the government to institutionalize the system, you know, train civil servants so the knowledge is always there. Uh, legislators can also come in by drafting proper policies and enacting laws. And of course, they really need to understand what open contracting is all about before they could actually do this. And, uh, you know, people, 
being given incentives for actually doing the right thing or doing their job. But you also can be a part of the conversation on our social media platform, it is Budget NG, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. My name is Nancy Odemigo. Have a lovely day.